Okay, church, happy Sabbath. Uh, we have two, two important things uh, happening here. First of all, it's about 10 to 12. <laughs> I'm not going to preach a 10-minute sermon, but I'm going to try to not make this too long, okay? So please, uh, what's that? Take my time? Okay. Well, yeah, we've got all day. Well, I'd love to hear that. Um, but I know some of us are... Are, are conscious of, of the time, so I'll try to respect that as well, too. Um, and today, um, the bulletin people, they, they did their job well, um, but last night as I was uh, making the PowerPoint, finishing up the message yesterday afternoon, actually, um, I was impressed to preach this message from Matthew chapter 25, on the second coming of Christ. Can we have a message on the second coming of Christ today? And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 25, 1 through 13, and we are going to uh, look at the five wise and the five foolish virgins. And I'm going to read Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. I won't uh, exegete, I won't look at every part of this parable, but we'll try to highlight some of the things here that uh, the Lord has brought to my attention. Matthew chapter 25, 1 through 13. And it reads, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Let's pray. Father in heaven, today we ask as we look at this passage and what it means for us today in the 21st century, Please uh, guide me with your Holy Spirit. May this be your word and not mine. Open up each heart and mind today to receive this message. And may we be looking to Jesus, Lord, until the very end. We pray in his name. Amen. Um, I would like to begin by telling a story of something that happened to me um, while I was uh, a missionary in Japan. Y'all know I like to tell these stories. And uh, it actually, as I was there serving, 
after about a year and a half of being in Japan, I was having the time of my life. It was, there was a lot of work. It was very stressful. The Japanese are extremely hardworking people, okay? So uh, I was working real hard, but I was having a wonderful time. Young man in my、uh, mid to early 20s. And, you know, as I was there,、uh, of course I was making missionary pay, which wasn't very much. But at the same time, I didn't have a lot of expenses. I didn't have to pay for my apartment complex or insurance or a car, a car insurance,、uh, or these other things. And so while I was having this wonderful time in my life,、uh, enjoying this new culture, these new people,、uh, this new experience, there was a problem kind of lurking、uh, in the background of my life that I didn't really know that I had. I had an issue. And it really came out when an earthquake hit off the east coast of Japan, caused a huge tidal wave or tsunami, as they call it, to hit eastern Japan. In one afternoon, sadly, thousands of people died. And to make matters worse, a nuclear power plant melted down in Fukushima, Japan. Y'all remember this happened 10 years ago. It was all over the news for weeks and weeks. And when the power plant melted down, The nuclear fuel rods inside the power plant blew up basically, and they flew into the air, and it emitted all this radiation into the air. And the fuel rods went all over the place, and they're trying to contain and control some of the other uh, uh, containers with these fuel rods. But it was already too late for one of,、uh, one of the units they had blown up. And so, to add insult to injury, all the death and devastation that happened, now the people on the east part of Japan were afraid of inhaling nuclear radiation. And we didn't know how serious it was at the time. As the days and the early weeks、uh, went on, nobody knew. And so, what happened was, is, is people started sending their family members on trains to the west part of Japan to get away from the radiation. I was living in Yokohama near Tokyo, which is about 150 miles away from the Fukushima power plant. And so, some people started sending their family members away. Of course, people are wearing masks. And I'm like, I wonder, is that going to protect against nuclear radiation? I don't know. But we did it. And some people who were、uh, citizens of other countries, they got on a plane and they left because nobody wanted to inhale nuclear radiation, knowing that it could get in our lymph nodes and then, you know, five or ten years down the road, develop premature cancer or tumors. And so people are freaking out. And then I realized something as a young man who was just having a good time in Japan. And that is that I was absolutely and completely broke. I had no money. I didn't have money to buy a plane ticket, even one way to get out of the country. I didn't have money to get a train ticket and go and, and stay in a hotel for a few days. I didn't have money even to go to the grocery store and stock up on、uh, water and food. And I realized. <laughs> that this whole time that I've, I've been out of college, I've been in,、uh, working for a year and a half, I wasn't saving my money. I wasn't managing it well. 
I was being irresponsible. I, I would walk into a, uh, if I was walking by a store and I saw a Rubik's Cube for 20 bucks, I would buy that thing and play with it for 20 minutes and it would sit there forever, you know. And I was thinking, man, I really got to change the way I manage my money. I need to think about money differently. I got to learn to manage this because this crisis has come upon this nation and all these people which I am involved in and I have no way to respond financially. Now, I will say God took care of me. He takes care of his people, amen. amen. And thankfully, we, weren't, we learned months later that where I was living, the air was, it increased in its radiation, but it wasn't uh, necessarily poisonous. And so, thank God, uh, I didn't actually have to leave as I was thinking that maybe I, I should. And so after that crisis hit, I had to cho- begin this journey on changing the way that I manage my money. And so God taught me that uh, I had to be a better steward with the time and the opportunities and the finances that he had given me. And he moved me from a place of being a broke young man to now being financially fit. And uh, I thank God for programs like Dave Ramsey that really teach people how to do this. And going through the program taught me how to save and how to, um, how to manage, how to prepare for crisis and emergencies, how to have financial goals, all of these things that I needed. But what really made the difference here was the crisis showed that at that time I was not prepared And so this little test that God gave actually helped to prepare me for bigger crises in the future. And I want to ask you the question, is God trying to prepare us today for the soon return of Jesus Christ? For that great crisis that's going to come upon the world, the time of trouble, the time when the loud cry is heard and and we we hear the cry, the bridegroom has come. Because when the crisis hits, that's when we really see what people are made of. Amen? And that's what's happening in the story in Matthew chapter 25. And so Jesus is telling this story about a wedding and these ten virgins who were participating in the wedding. In the days of Jesus, this would have been very familiar to them. Everybody knew Uh, what happened in a wedding ceremony. It was the highlight of life in a village or a small city. The wedding ceremony was the most important thing uh, that would happen in a village. And in Christ's time, um, there's a lot of things that would happen in a wedding. In, In our days, a wedding takes place in one afternoon. People say, I do. And, and that's it. You know, some papers are signed and they're legally married. But in Christ's time, weddings could take days or even weeks. Uh, it started with, uh, even longer before that, a year before the engagement, where a, a, somebody who wanted to marry uh, someone else, a, a groom wanted to, a man wanted to marry a woman, he and his father would go to the girl's father And they would make a wedding proposal. They would make a marriage proposal. By the way, all the weddings in Christ's day were typically arranged. Imagine that, if they were arranged. The parents choose who you marry. 
We are far removed from such a culture. But this is how it went. And so the, the groom-to-be and the father, they would go to uh, the bride-to-be's father and they would work out a deal for the dowry. This is how much the groom and his family had to give for this uh, daughter, for this man's daughter. Okay? This is uh, not a payment for a wife, but this is to show that the young man and his family could support this woman. Okay? And plus, when she left, uh, that was one less hand around the house to help. So somehow they made, had to make up for it. So this is a typical wedding in Jesus' time. It would often take days or even weeks. And the, us- the wedding would usually end in the evening time. When the groom would go to the bride's house, get the bride, and he would come back to his house. And on the way, they would greet people, they would receive gifts, all these different things were happening. And many times they would come and they would arrive late at night. But it was almost always at twilight, as the sun was going down or just after the sun went down. And it was dark. So this is where the ten virgins come in. Because they are supposed to stand in front of the groom's house as he and his bride are coming, and they are to light the way as they come into his house. And Jesus tells this very familiar story, but there's a little twist here. And he says that five of these virgins who went out to meet the bridegroom, five of them were ready and five of them were not. And what made the difference between those who were ready and those who were not? He said those who were ready, they took extra oil in their vessels. And those who were not ready, they did not have enough oil. Now, for the sake of time, I will not look at all the text, but what does the Bible tell us that oil represents in the Bible? It represents the Holy Spirit. Zechariah chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Acts chapter 1, uh, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and many others. Zechariah sees this vision of, these, of this lampstand, and he sees a vision of these two trees, and there's pipes coming out of the trees. There's oil coming out of the trees into the lampstand. And he asks the angel who's with him in the vision, what does this mean? And the angel says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So it represents the Holy Spirit. So these uh, ladies, these young women, so to speak, figuratively, and for us today, we need the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? And I would like to ask you a question. How much do you need Jesus? How much do you need Jesus every day? How important is it for us to ask for Jesus to come into our hearts every day? Can a Christian be without Jesus Christ? Yes or no? They cannot. Can we get to the kingdom of God, that holy city that he has prepared for us, without Jesus? Do we need him to take away our sins, to guide us? Do we need him to fill us? How much do we need Jesus? Because as much as we need Jesus, 
we also need the Holy Spirit. That's how much we need the Spirit. The same way that we need Jesus, we also need the Holy Spirit. And in the days and the times in which we live, we can be influenced and filled with a lot of other things from the world or thoughts or problems, but we need to ask every day for God to fill us and guide us with his Holy Spirit. And we need to pray for the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon our church. We can know all the Bible teachings, all the doctrines, all the truth, but unless the Spirit brings it to the heart, it means nothing. Unless God brings it to our hearts, it means nothing. Unless we surrender to the Spirit of God and His working, we are not true Christians. We can have no power, no influence, no sanctification of soul. And by the way, we don't use the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uses us. Amen? You see, the problem, one of the problems with the five foolish virgins is they were excited. They thought, wow, I get to be a part of a wedding ceremony. I get to put on a new dress, and I get to have fun and eat some great food, and, and I, I, I get to do this thing that someday I will be a, uh, the, the bride. And so they were all excited and joyful for a while. They were ready for the first few hours. But something happened when the excitement and the thrill and the expectation had slowly worn off. They were not ready. Have you ever heard Jesus is coming again? Has it ever made you excited? Have you ever had to wait and wonder where is Jesus? Has a question ever come to your mind? You see, it can be real exciting to think about it first. And then when Jesus doesn't come, when we expect him, when things uh, 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 come to pass the way that we don't expect We can get a little disillusioned or disappointed, can't we? God wants us to participate in a marathon, not in a sprint. And we can only do that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what God is calling us for. Jesus told us there would be a delay. But does that mean he is not coming? Are we ready? Now, here's something interesting about the ten virgins. Now, when you look at them at first in this story, uh, there's no difference. In a wedding, you would look at these virgins and see that they looked to, that there was no difference between them. They were all virgins. They all had lamps. They were all waiting. And catch this. They all fell asleep, didn't they? The foolish ones and the wise ones all fell asleep, didn't they? Now, I hope you understand that these ten virgins, they represent the church in the last days. These are not, well, the five wise are the church and the five foolish are the world. No, they all represent the church. Every single one of them were in the church. All of them professed to be Christians. All of them professed to be followers and disciples of Christ. But when the crisis hit, when the time came and the bridegroom, he came to see who was ready and who was not, then the two were made obvious. The two groups were separated in that moment of crisis. But at the beginning, they all looked the same. 
All of them. But the crisis changed everything. It was in the crisis that their character was revealed. When the test comes, then we see who is really for Jesus and who is not. When the final midnight cry came, behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. That's when everybody knew, including the virgins and the groom, who was actually ready. And the time to get ready is not the very end. The time to get ready is today. Today, not when the crisis hits. I learned this the hard way one time. Again, when I was in Japan. And my wife, at the time she was my girlfriend, she, Subako was learning to uh, play the piano. She actually already knows how to play the piano, but she wanted to play very well. She wanted to p- play like somebody who could play, you know, in, in an orchestra or something like that. So she took lessons from a very skilled friend. And after about a month, she tells me, I don't think I want to take piano lessons anymore. Oh, that's too bad. She said, I'm going to take uh, guitar lessons instead. I said, okay, that's great. And uh, for this, uh, by this time, we've been dated for many months. And so she takes some guitar lessons. And after about a month, she says, I don't think I want to take guitar lessons anymore. And I'm, okay, I'm starting to see a pattern here. So I said, wait a minute, don't cancel your guitar lesson, your classes, okay? Why don't we take them together and you can continue with your lessons? And so she's like, oh, I would love to do this. So we took guitar lessons together, classical guitar lessons together for a few months. And um, we took these lessons together. We, we learned the same um, notes, and we took these uh, songs home to learn, these you know, uh, uh, lessons to learn. And a day came when the, our teacher told us, we're going to have a recital Uh, in a few weeks, and I would like for you all to play just a short little piece. I know you haven't been at it very long, so we won't give you something difficult. Just play this piece. So I said, great, that that would be great. Let's do it. So uh, this was about two or three weeks before the recital, and uh, it was a simple, easy piece, two pieces, about a minute, minute and a half a piece. And so as the time came, I remember we'd go to our weekly uh, lesson and we'd work on it a little bit, but we didn't quite have it down. I thought, oh, I need to practice. A week passed, two weeks passed, and we really didn't practice. And a few days before the recital, I was trying to practice a little bit, but got busy with ministry and thought, I think I can do this. So, you know, it'll be all right. Well, the recital came, and we're going to play two pieces. The first one was about 90 seconds long, and we did great. And the second piece was the one we were a little rusty, and Sumako's like, on the stage, are you sure we should play this one? I said, it'd be all right. I I think we got it. And I said, I'll take the lead when the time comes. Don't worry. So we're up there, and we're playing the piece, and... I start fumbling on the guitar, and I was thinking, "Uh uh-oh. People are staring at us. You know, this is in a place, a country, where people are very 
uh, tentative to perfection, you know. The Japanese perfect everything before they get in front of people. And so I was fumbling around, and I looked up at the crowd. I said, uh, is anybody else nervous here today? And so they all laughed. Okay, I got us out of that one. Let's try it again. So we tried it again, and I fumbled again. And there's maybe some chuckles here or there, but the third and the fourth time trying to get this piece right on stage. And it was so embarrassing. And and we just kind of rushed through the piece. And I said to Michael, let's just move on to the next part of this this piece of music. So we moved on. And then when it was over, um, I was so embarrassed, you know. And there was like refreshments afterwards. And I said, let's just get out of here. I don't want to have any juice or cookies or anything. She says, no, we should really, we should go uh, get some of the refreshments. I said, okay, well, you know the culture better than me. Let's, let's get them and get out of here. So we went in there. We ate very quickly. We didn't even sit down. We got in the car, and I just burned rubber getting out of that parking lot. I never wanted to come back again. Not being ready is pretty embarrassing, isn't it? Not being ready can can cost us. You know, that's a small illustration. But all joking and laughing and, you know, all of that aside, this is really a very serious thing, isn't it? it To be ready for the second coming of Christ. Today is the day to be ready. Today is the day to practice following Christ, surrendering to him listening to him, doing his will and not our own. Today is a day for sanctification, not when the crisis hits. We as God's people need to take this very seriously. We need to make decisions for Jesus today and not wait for a later date. This is the day. This is the day. I want to start coming to a close here. With this thought, why was the bridegroom late? Why was he late? And years ago, I was studying this passage, and I came across a commentary that noted something very interesting. And that is that sometimes something would happen in a wedding ceremony where the bridegroom would be delayed. And that is that when he went to go get his bride, that if the father of the bride believed that his daughter was very valuable for whatever reason, and he wanted to increase the price of the dowry, that he could do that. And he could say, no, my my daughter is so valuable, I I need more coins for for this wonderful daughter of mine. I need more land, I need more cattle, whatever he was giving as a dowry for that bride. If he really wanted her, if he could see the value in her, then he would have to pay a higher price. And that sometimes negotiation could take more time, more hours to work out the negotiation. And then they would be even later past sundown, past the early hours of the night. And sometimes they would come home quite late at the darkest hour. And so you see, that really touched me. 
I think maybe Jesus was hiding that in this parable to show how much Jesus has paid, how much Jesus has given for his church. This is how much Jesus loves his church. This is how much Jesus loves you. There is no price that Jesus would not pay. He would rather die than be in the kingdom without us. That's how much Jesus has given for each and every one of us. And they brought them home coming at the darkest hour. It says at midnight the cry was made. And I believe that Jesus is going to come back to this earth at the darkest hour. Is it getting dark out there today? With all the sickness and the disease and the violence, once again this week we heard on the news another school, another school shooting right here in Texas, in, in Arlington. It's getting dark outside, isn't it? The world is getting darker. And Jesus will come, oftentimes he comes in the darkest hour. When Martha and Mary lost their brother, they thought Jesus was too late. If you would have only have been here, he's dead already. Where were you? Jesus often comes at the darkest hour in our lives. And some of you are experiencing that darkness. It feels like, where is Jesus? It's getting so dark. Where is he? Oftentimes he comes at the darkest hour. Just wait. Jesus is coming. And it is my hope and it is my prayer, church, that we see that we are living in the darkest hours of earth's history and that Christ is coming soon. He's paid the highest price that anybody could pay for another person in giving his own life. But be encouraged. Jesus is coming soon. Pray for the Holy Spirit. Look forward for Christ to come and help others to be ready as well, too. May God bless you, and happy Sabbath. God in heaven, we worship you today. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for the promises and the hope that we have that our Savior is coming soon. May we be ready for this great day. God, we ask your blessing upon each one here as we dismiss, and thank you again for this Sabbath day. In Jesus' name, amen.